0: Good morning, Uh, turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 14 and as you're turning there I want you to imagine something, imagine a dinner that you're having with your closest friends, your best friends, family members, people you love the most. Imagine having dinner with them, imagine what the feel would be the emotional climate. Certainly it would be joyful and fun and lighthearted. Certainly would be considered a good time, something you'd want to have again and again and again. And then imagine as it wraps up what you feel like as you leave. You're probably... Excited or wanting to meet again. You're probably leaving on a high note. Things are good. Maybe you've caught up with someone you haven't seen for a while, but you've deepened relationships, and you've had a fantastic time around a great meal. In John 14 and 13, we come to the final recorded supper, dinner, Jesus and his friends, and the feeling by the end of the meal is absolutely opposite of what we just imagined. it's not happy, it's not good. In fact, everybody around that table is feeling devastated is feeling disturbed? The new king James says, troubled in fact, several times in John 13 and in John fourteen. The same word for troubled comes up to describe how these friends at this seemingly final dinner are feeling. Even Jesus himself is anxious and disturbed at the end of his dinner. So here's a couple of reasons why, and this is going to be important. This is going to be important for John 14. But in John 13, Jesus ends the dinner by getting up And in a shocking display of humility, he gets down and he washes his disciples' feet. We celebrate that. But in that moment, his friends were so shocked and disrupted and confused that their rabbi, the one with the most honor at their table, would get down on his knees and perform the duties of a servant. You know Peter, he'll let you know how everyone's feeling. He's the temperature, he's the barometer, Of the group right and he starts to argue with jesus about what are you doing why are you doing it and you're not even doing enough then won't you do more and so there's disruption there's confusion and there's shock from the disciples at jesus's actions then jesus goes on in chapter 13 to predict that he will be betrayed by his own friend at that table and in verse 21 of chapter 13 it says Jesus's spirit was troubled and that word means disturbed anxious he's upset by the fact that one of his own is going to betray him and you can imagine what the other disciples thought too right looking around who's it going to be it's not going to be me is it you is it him and when Jesus even points out who it is Nothing gets any better. It only gets worse from there. And then Jesus says in chapter 13, he says, I'm leaving. I'm going away. These are our final few hours together. I have something I have to do. And then he says, you cannot come with me. And Peter again speaks up and he says, what are you talking about? I will follow you to the ends of the earth. I'll go wherever you go. I love you so much I would never leave your side. And then Jesus says what to Peter? You know the story. He tells him, Peter, you're not going to follow me anywhere. In fact, you're going to deny me three times. Peter's brash outburst of loyalty is rejected and shown to be false, that Peter's heart truly is not as loyal as he thinks it is. So imagine you just ate dinner with your friends and then that's how it ends. (laughs) How would you be feeling? Jesus is feeling pretty low. Peter's feeling pretty low. The disciples are confused, shocked, and feeling low. This is not the great friendly dinner it was supposed to be. Things have gotten to a terrible place. And so in John 14, we see something amazing. Something that Jesus has been doing since the very beginning of the book of John. He is caring for his friends. We see the pastoral heart of Jesus in John 14. Here's what it says in verse 1 of John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. That same word troubled there is the same word that described how Jesus felt back in John 13, how Peter was feeling, how the disciples were feeling in this moment at the end of this dinner. They were feeling troubled. And Jesus, as he does, looks with compassion at his friends. And he says, you don't have to feel that way. He looks at his disciples who are about to lose him in more ways than they even understand who feel unprepared for his departure, who feel like they actually may not know exactly who he is, even though they've walked with him for his ministry and they've heard him over and over again explain exactly who he is to everyone else. Now when it comes to it, they're not sure what's going to happen to them. And Jesus says, don't be troubled. Don't let your heart be anxious Don't let your hearts be disturbed. Don't let yourself, your spirit, be laid low by the hardships that you're going to face. You see, the disciples think that they're not going to, when Jesus says he's leaving, they think he's going away, and they're never going to see him again. And I imagine they're thinking to themselves, well, was it worth it? Was leaving everything behind worth it? Was following this man worth it? Was everything we gave up worth it? And Jesus is about to say something in John 14. It's not revolutionary because he's been saying it since the beginning of his ministry. But he's going to remind his friends of what they need when their hearts are troubled. What they need when their spirits are low. What they need when they feel overwhelmed and they look around and Jesus isn't there anymore. And so before we get started looking at what he says, I just want you to identify yourself with that. If you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, you're one of his disciples. I'm willing to bet nobody in here has actually had dinner with Jesus. And I'm willing to bet no one in here has ever been able to look around and see him walking next to you and listen to his teaching that way. So you and I can relate to this feeling of being disciples who can't see their master, their rabbi, anymore. And to the natural eye, when you can't see something, you start to be afraid. And Jesus says to anybody who will follow him who does not get to actually walk next to him physically, he says to them, let not your hearts be troubled. I'm still here for you. I'm here for you the way I was there for Peter when he was sinking in the water, and I went and I picked him up. I'm here for you the way I was with my disciples when I was in the boat and the storm was raging around and they thought they were going to die and he calmed it with one word, I'm here for you in the same way that as I healed the blind and the leprous and the sick, I'm here for you in the same way that I was there for Mary and Martha when I went and I raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus' words in John 14 are going to be words of comfort to the disciple who can't see Jesus and is in need of his power in their life. When your hearts are troubled, Jesus says, here's what you must do for comfort. And he's going to say at the end of John 14, this is all for your peace. This is so you can have peace in a hard world, in a world ruled by evil, in a world where it looks like good doesn't win or won't win or can't win. Jesus says, listen to my words in John 14. And be at peace in your souls. Essentially, in John 14, he says to do two things, and we're going to break down the chapter in, 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 uh, according to these two things. So, if you go back to verse 1 of chapter 14, it says this: Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus says, Trust. Trust me. Don't be disturbed. Don't be anxious. Don't be worried. Trust. That's the answer to the problem that these disciples are facing. That's the answer to what Peter was feeling in this moment. That's the answer to what the disciples were feeling in this moment. And it's even the answer to what Jesus was feeling in this moment. Was to trust. Now, he says it this way, believe in God, believe also in me. Remember, um, back in John 1, we've been trying to trace the argument here that John is trying to answer who Jesus really is. He's more than just a teacher. He's more than just a carpenter. He's more than just a good rabbi or someone who spoke um, in ways that got the Pharisees upset. He's more than that. In the very first chapter of John, we are told that Jesus is God And Jesus simply reiterates that here for his friends. If you believe in God, right, these Jewish men who have spent their life believing in God, that's what their whole culture was built on. Believe also in me. Trust me because I am your God. Since chapter 2, when we start learning of, of Jesus' actual ministry in the book of John, he has been imploring people to trust in him, trust his words. What did he say to the woman at the well? Trust me. What did he say to the people at the Festival of Booths in Jerusalem? Trust me. In fact, they argued with him. They said, how can we know what you say is true? And he says, the only way you can actually know if what I'm saying is true is if you try it out for yourself. And you actually have a heart that would trust these words. That's what he says. That's his whole argument. He says you have to try it to know that it's true. So trust in me. Because if you trust in Jesus, you're trusting in God. Well, what exactly should the disciples trust? Well, he goes on to explain. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, be certain of this, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also, and where I go, you know, and the way, you know. The disciples need to trust, first and foremost, that Jesus is God, and if they would trust God and believe that he could never lie to them and he is there for them, they must believe Jesus would do the same. Then they also need to believe that Jesus actually has to leave them. They don't get it yet, and they're not going to get it because in the next few hours they're going to see their friend nailed to the cross, and they're going to think this was all for naught, and it really is over now. And they don't understand that Jesus must go to the cross for their sake, that he has one final thing to accomplish in his mission of redemption and that is to die for them and to rise again so that they can experience this peace that he wants to bring them. So they need to understand that Jesus is God and trust that. They need to trust that Jesus has to go for their sake. And then he says this, trust this, that I will come back for you. that I'll come back for you, that I'm not leaving you forever. In fact, he's not even leaving them as long as, as, they, as they may think. They think this is, well, maybe we'll never see him again, and he's gonna show back up to them very soon. And he's gonna explain in John 14 exactly what it's gonna be like when he comes back to them and how instead of being troubled in spirit, that they can be emboldened in hope the power of Jesus. And then he goes on and he explains why they should trust him. And I don't know if you have been taking notes throughout the book of John, but he basically does the same thing every single time. He did this at the woman, um, with the woman at the well. He did this in Jerusalem. He did this with the Pharisees. He did this with everyone. He says the same thing to his friends who have heard it over and over and over again, and now when the rubber meets the road and they are going to experience a loss, he says it one more time to comfort and embolden their hearts. Why should the disciples trust in what Jesus has to say? What's so different or special about him? Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and how can we know the way? There's actually two more, time, two more questions in this chapter, and essentially they're the same question. There are, Jesus, we don't know what you mean. How can we know what you mean? Why haven't you told us what you meant? And so Jesus, again, in compassion for his friends, answers their question. He says this in verse 7. This is why they should trust Jesus. Even though he's going to go away from them. Even though he called Peter out. And even though his own heart was troubled. He says, here's why you trust me. Uh, Verse 6, I'm sorry. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Consider that um, statement this way. I am the way because I'm the truth and because I'm the life. And consider it this way again. I'm the way because I'm God's truth. And I am God's life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the exact message in one line that he spoke to the woman at the well in chapter four. He said to her, I have that life-giving water that your soul needs. I have the truth about you and where you stand with God that you need to understand. And the only way to make things right, the only way to be fulfilled, the only way to be to drink of that water And to be made right is the way of Jesus, to trust him. And again, if we went back and looked at everybody, he says this to Mary and Martha. He says this to everybody he comes in contact with in his ministry. I am the way because I am God's truth and I am God's life. That's actually one of the claims, remember way back in John 1 in that introduction, that John makes about Jesus that he is the illuminator of God's truth. If you want to know what's true about God, you have to look at Jesus. And if you want life represented by water, oftentimes in Jesus' own ministry, you have to look at Jesus. And so Jesus says, trust me. Friends, trust me when your hearts are laid low, when you're disturbed, when you're anxious, when you feel overwhelmed and you feel alone. Trust me. Jesus says in this section, in this verse, and again in verse 7, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also, and from now on you know him and have seen him. He says, I am the exact reflection of God the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen him. And if you've seen him, you've seen me. We are the same. So trust In Jesus and what he says but then he goes on and he says it's not enough to simply trust that's helpful that's heartening that's emboldening that can lift your spirits but Jesus doesn't stop there and he never stops there in his entire ministry because he always says there's one more thing to do Uh, In John 14, you'll find uh, three verses that say almost exactly the same thing. Verse 15, verse 21, and verse 23, and they say this. If you love me, in verse 15, so if you love me, if you trust me, then keep my commandments. In verse 21, it says, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it's he who loves me and then in 23 it says Jesus answered and said if anyone loves me he will keep my word my father will love him Jesus says it's never enough to just trust that's not where i want you to stop i want you to go beyond trust and i want you to obey i want you to follow me i want you to act You see, Peter had an issue. Peter thought he trusted Jesus so much that he would lay down his life for his sake, he says in 1337. And Jesus says, Peter, you don't trust me that much because you will actually deny me three times. When the rubber meets the road, you will not trust me. And the point is this, is that Jesus says it, right? The fruit of your life shows what you truly believe. So if you trust Jesus, then he says, will you follow me? Will you imitate me? Will you do what I do? Keep my commandments. Do the things I say to do. As often as Jesus calls for trust, he also calls his disciples to do something, to do what he says. And then he's going to say something that is going to help, again, lift the hearts of his disciples. Uh, Starting in verse 16, he's he's going to let them know how they can obey Jesus. Because the question probably was, well, Jesus, you want us to obey you, but you're going to be gone. What can we do? How do we know we're doing it right? How do we know when we have questions, where do we go if you're not here to help us understand how to follow your commands? And Jesus says this, starting in verse 16. Somewhere here. There it is. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you, and will be in you. And listen, friends, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Earlier, Jesus said, I have to go. And, and, and he needs them to trust that he has to go because something better is going to be waiting for them on the other side of the cross. They just don't understand it yet. But he doesn't want to leave them in suspense, so he tells them, friends, this is what you need to know, is that I'm going to go, but I'm sending someone back to you. And he calls it the Spirit of Truth, or the Holy Spirit, or the Helper. The one who's going to go, who's going to come and be with those disciples who no longer get to be next to Jesus physically, or eat dinner with him, or walk with him. And so friends, it's a promise to those men in that room there, and it's a promise to everyone in this room here. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you are promised the Holy Spirit. you are promised God. You are promised Jesus. He says, he puts himself with the Holy Spirit and he says, I'm coming back to you. I'm not going to leave you. If Jesus is the truth, then the spirit of truth is the same. The Holy Spirit comes to us to help us follow and obey Jesus and to lift up our hearts when they are laid low. Listen to what is so special. Here, here's, what should, um, here's what should encourage you, if you're a follower of Jesus, about the Spirit. This is Jesus cares so much that he explains how the Spirit's going to come. He says, I'll pray to the Father. So Jesus commissions help for his friends. If you're there that night and you're looking at Jesus, he says, I'm about to leave you and everything feels terrible. He looks you in the eye and he said, friend, I'm going to send someone back to help you. Someone I personally will send to you. He's commissioned by Jesus and he's sent by God and God's going to send you this power. God's going to send you this spirit. God's going to send you this helper. And it's going to indwell in you. And in your heart, it can never be taken away. It could never go missing. And it could never, ever leave you. It will become a part of you in an intimate way. Even more intimate than the way Jesus and his friends lived together. This is something better than what they were experiencing up to this point. And Jesus says, It's for you to help you follow me. When you don't see me anymore, when I'm not there to step in anymore, I am there. I'm not actually leaving you in one sense, but not forever. So he talks about the Holy Spirit and how he's going to send someone to be with his friends. Um, So that's one way that they um, can obey Jesus is to uh, follow the Spirit in their hearts. And then another way, and this is just um, just real quick. I don't want to go into it too much, but in John 13, and I mentioned it before, but there's this shocking event, moment after dinner when Jesus gets down and he washes his disciples' feet. And so when he tells his friends to obey him, and they say, well, how do we do that? Well, he says this, look at what I do. Imitate me. A disciple of Jesus is one who's trying to be like Jesus. And so in John 13, he gets down on his feet and he washes, or he gets down on his knees, excuse me, and he washes their feet. And he says to his friends, I want you to do this. I want you to do this to others. Here's what you do. He gave them an exact example. To sacrifice what they think is important about themselves for someone else. To show the love of Jesus in a way that is shocking and has no regard for the self. Jesus said, they don't know it yet, but Jesus is giving them a picture as he's washing their feet of what he's going to do on the cross, where he's going to make the ultimate sacrifice. And Paul says that Jesus counted being equal with God and being in heaven and on his throne, as, he counted it as no loss to come here to die for sinners. And that's the kind of heart that he wants his disciples to have. And that's what he calls us to do. He calls us to trust and to obey. Trust that he loves you and he's with you and obey him and he says, this is the words of comfort I give to you. This is what I want you to know as I go. This is what I want you to know if, you are, uh, if your heart is troubled and is downcast inside you. Do these things. Focus on this. And then he says uh, near the end of John 14, here's what you'll get If you trust and obey. Um, In verses 18, 19 through 21, and and verse 24, he says this. I'll I'll try to read through this. It's it's so, like if you were there that night to hear this, I can't imagine how powerful it would have felt. He says, I'll not leave you as orphans, I'll come to you in verse And then in verse 19, he says this, A little while longer, and the world will see me no more. But you, my friends, you will see me. My disciples, you will still see me. Because I live, you will live also. He's telling them that (laughs) they must have forgotten. Because in a few hours, as he's hanging, dying on the cross, and they think it's all over, and then days pass, and they think it's all over, and people are going home on the road to Emmaus saying, well, that was an interesting thing, but now it's all over, He's saying, as I live, you will live also. He's cluing them into the fact that the cross is only part of what he has to do, but he's coming back to give them eternal life. Because I live, you will live also. And that day you will know that I am in, I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jesus is saying, if you trust me, you are loved by the God of the universe, by your own creator, and you, who, he will never leave you alone. Obeying Jesus is to be with Jesus. And being with Jesus means we see God. We live the way he would have us live. And we actually get to be with him. I don't know, right now, maybe it feels like you are not with God or you're not very close to God. or You know, we can't look around and see him sometimes in the ways we would want to. But Jesus is promising there's a day coming when you will get to see him. And if you want to know what he's like now, then look to the life of Christ. You don't have to be alone. You don't have to be afraid. Jesus says, I am here with you now. So why does this trust and obedience, why is that supposed to be so comforting? What's that supposed to help his disciples with? In verse 25, it says this, these things I've spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I said to you. I wonder, um, just as a side note, when John was writing this, <laughs> if he like, had to smile and laugh and think, wow, glad that really worked out. Because what, 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 what would I have forgotten? What, what of all these things would I have forgotten that Jesus said um, all this time later? But the Holy Spirit, God, Jesus says, don't worry, the Holy Spirit's going to help you remember everything you need to know and teach you what you need to know to pass on to the next disciples what I have for you, and to pass on the disciples who never got to see Jesus or never got to know anybody who sat down with Jesus at dinner, to disciples who are thousands of miles away centuries later, those disciples who need to hear the same things for their troubled hearts. In verse 27, Jesus says this, Peace I leave with you. I imagine Peter was sitting there thinking, What? You're not leaving me with peace. You just told me I didn't love you like I thought I did. But Jesus says, No, I'm leaving you with peace, my peace that I give to you, not as the world gives. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. This peace that Jesus is saying, the reason that trust in Jesus and obedience to him The reason that that brings you peace and comfort, disciple, is because of what he's going to do in the next few chapters, and that is he's going to go to the cross, and he's going to receive the wrath of God for your sins. And he's going to die as the perfect sacrifice, meeting all requirements of the law that God has set, He's going to do that all for you. He's going to do that all for Peter. He's going to do that all for John, for James, for all those guys there that night, and for everyone sitting here. He takes that, and all of his disciples, he takes their sin, He puts it upon himself, and the wrath of God pours out onto him, and he becomes the sacrifice. But he doesn't stay dead like a mere man because he's God. He rises again, defeating death and offering his righteousness and his peace, which is reconciliation with God, which is a relationship with God, which is love and honor from the Father. He gives that to any disciple who would trust in him. And then, this is what's great you trust in Jesus. And then he gives you the power to obey him. He sends you the Holy Spirit. And this is what he's done, right? This is why we're here today. This is why we sing the songs we sang today and and pray the prayers we prayed today. And, And this is why we come and we celebrate. But sometimes it becomes so, I don't know, routine. We get so used to being disciples that don't get to see their master. And then when The hardship comes and your heart is troubled, then the question is, where do we go? And Jesus' words are the same at the beginning of his ministry and here near the end of his earthly ministry. To his friends, to those who will listen, he says, I want you to trust in who I am, and I want you to obey and imitate what I do. That is the balm for the weary soul, that is the peace in times of chaos. That is the healing and the bringing up and the lifting up of the downcast heart. That is the relief for the anxious. And Jesus is still doing that for his disciples today. So will you trust in him? Will you as a disciple who's already trusted in Christ, will you continue to trust in him? And then will you go and do what he has for you to do. Will you imitate Jesus? That's what he says is the cure for the downcast soul. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, and thank you for your word and the example that we have that we can go to, the accounts of Jesus' life from his friends. And Father, thank you for these moments that John captures for us. Father, they're meant to help. They're meant to lift up the hearts of the disciples who come after, who don't get to walk with Jesus or have that last supper with him in the same way. But Father, just because we don't experience things the exact same way as those disciples did that night, Father, disciples of Jesus still need the words of Christ in their life. And so, Father, I thank you that we can find those words I pray, Lord, that we would consider them, that we would consider trusting in Jesus and exploring what it means to trust more. And Father, I also pray that you would help empower us to obey. Father, help us to be imitators of Jesus, to show the love of Christ to others in whatever way we need to, whether we say it or do it, Father, however it may be, show us what we can do to obey Jesus. Father, we thank you for, uh, for Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for us, for reconciling us to God and making it possible to live in wonderful fellowship with you. Father, may that also um, lift up our hearts in times of trouble, that you're there with us and you love us and you're a good father who cares for his children. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen.